When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Movement, breath, energy, and life. Namaste, yogis. This is Andrew Seeley here to welcome you to the Yoga Revealed podcast. What is your relationship with happiness, with loneliness, with presence? On this thought-provoking episode, we dive deep into conversations with globetrotting, hand-balancing, and sometimes controversial Dylan Warner. Tune in as Dylan shares his true passion for the evolution of yoga practice and philosophy. This is our second interview together and happens to be one of my all-time favorite conversations with Dylan to date. I caught the busy man for a few hours just in between a few international flights to tap into his wisdom upon his journey of self-discovery. Listen up as Dylan reveals the true compassion and care that has allowed his yoga practice to speak through him and shine bright into all areas of life. Learn three steps to greater awareness and dedication for your practice now as Dylan guides us on the path to less suffering that is sure to wow on this insightful episode of the Yoga Revealed podcast with Dylan Warner. On your next inhale, you open your eyes. Bring yourself to the reality of being present. <laughs> it's the reality. Namaste. Namaste. Really great joy to have you on the podcast this morning here in lovely Venice, California, right around the block from my house. Dylan Warner, how you feeling? Good. I feel I feel really good. Good. The power of breath is really amazing. Yeah, totally just centers us, brings us back into that present state of consciousness. <laughs> when I when I talk with my students about breathing. This is actually something that just like a thought that came up during one of my workshops. Um, I was teaching, I teach a, a pranayama workshop that's basically, it's around kumbhaka. Mm. You know, like, so, and just how powerful the breath practice is, especially with yoga. And, um, and so like I talk, talk about the breath as like a, you know, real current analogy. I like to use horses. <laughs> why horses because we all have horses no but because horse or maybe unicorns that's maybe a little mm. bit more current no. <laughs> so you know, talk about the breath the breath is like a it's like a pair of horses and it's essentially it starts out as a wild animal and 
wherever the breath goes, the chariot's going to follow. And if the if the breath is crazy, you know the the chariot's obviously the mind. But if the breath is loud, then the mind's going to be loud. If it's out of control, the mind's going to be out of control. If it's calm, the mind's going to be calm. So I, I when I teach my students Ujjayi, I, I really focus on like a soft, quiet breath. Mm-hmm. You know, they say in the Hatha Yoga Pradikapa that the breath, the, if you hold a candle up to the nares, it shouldn't even flicker the flame. That's how soft the breath should be. And in meditation, it's almost like we're not breathing at all. Yeah. And so we have to train the horses, and who drives the chariot isn't you. Because you think if you, if, if you're the breath and you're the mind, and where the breath goes, you're just, you're falling behind. You know, you think that, oh, well, I'm the chariot driver, but that's not, that's not uh, you at all. Because anything that arises, you get angry, you get upset, um, any, anything like this happens, you're not there, you're not in control. No one actually controls the horses, it's the practice. The more that you practice, the calmer that the horses are, the, the better that they behave when, you know, something jumps up out of nowhere and rises. When you've trained horses well, they don't just go crazy, you know? And so that's that's the whole idea. Once you learn how to train the breath and you train it in all different situations, when something rises, when something pokes at you, you put the practice in. And so now the mind will still follow the horses, but the horses aren't going to react. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the... Definitely. But so good to be here with you. Yeah, man. Honestly, it's been probably like a month or so before I, or since I've seen you last, and which is more than most people I know. Ah, so I, 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 I feel special. <laughs> you know, I've come to LA. I'm really only in in the states for this one month, this entire year, and so I was here a month ago and I saw you, which I think. Um, just here for a day, for the one yeah, day. You and just I came, passing yeah, and you had just come back from India, so it was yeah. just like very serendipitous, we like that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had dates and tea. Um, but yeah, you just—it's a. I don't know why. Like, I have a lot of friends in LA. I have, you know, because when I was here for the, I guess I only lived here for about what was it, a year and a half or so mm-hmm. before I, before I moved out and started traveling all over the place. But, um, yeah, every time I come in, I just, like, call you up. You're the first person, oh. so, yeah. Well, I appreciate that dearly because I really feel that our time spent together is always very it's very beneficial. It just feels good to be around satsang, people who are on the path yeah. and truly dedicated to the path. Um, so I feel like this is kind of like we're coming full circle because the last time that we did an interview um, was about a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Or a little bit over that. A little bit more. Yeah. I think it was like one of your first people, and that was probably released a year after we did the interview. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. you're, you're getting everything going so recorded, and then it came out a year later, and I remember listening to it, and I was like, wow. I couldn't believe how much my life had changed mm-hmm. in that short amount of time. I mean, everything from like I mean, where I was living, what I was doing, who I was with, what my goals were. Mm-hmm. Everything had, uh, you know, we, we, we set up, we, we plan for the future and we're so foolish because we, as we're planning for the future, we have an idea of what that future is going to be. Mm-hmm. 
so we, I don't know. Luckily through yoga, I have, I have more practice with the less of an attachment I have to what I think my life's going to be like. And I think just over the last three years, seeing how each year is dramatically different, I mean, in the best way possible than what I ever hoped it to be. And prior to that, you know, like I, I thought I'd be at a fire department for 20 years. And I remember to, talking to you about that. Yeah, like, yeah. So that was your life at that yeah. time. And so we, we set these, these things up and we have this idea of what our future is going to be. Then we're attached to this idea. And it's, it's nothing like that. Think of how much, you know, when, when you get attached to something like that's so, that's exists so much in fantasy, like the future, like how much suffering that could be if you have any kind of whatever. So just allowing it to allowing, be. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a, you know, that's like the Wu Wei. You know, I've been, I've been listening, I just finished uh, The Way of Zen by Alan Watts, but like understanding. Dow principles and stuff like how it flows like water doesn't flow through a rock it flows over and around yeah you know just if there's an obstacle there the best way through it is around it and um yeah so anyways <laughs> all right i'm sure you have some questions for me we can actually get into this interview <laughs> definitely i honestly feel that the conversation of the interview is sometimes the most beneficial for the listeners because then they get to really connect with who you are as a person and for those listeners who may not be super familiar with you I want to hear a little bit about your path and kind of where we last left off which was you know you're teaching yoga you're beginning to kind of like get into the traveling aspect of teaching to where we are now so give me like what's happened in the last year in your life and how it has actually helped you to evolve into where you are now. Ooh. <laughs> I always like that word evolve because that's I think that's the the continuous process of, of reality. It's just always an evolution. Um, when you think about evolve, evolve means change. So as long as but it, it's changing to your circumstances to adapt into whatever you need to be in those circumstances. Um, so yeah, how, how <laughs> so for the I think last year I did something around forty countries, um, plus or minus a few, or for at least 40, 40 plus cities, almost forty countries because I did a, a few cities, you know, and I did about a workshop every single week or a series of workshops. I usually do about five workshops in a city. Mm. And then moved on, and I think as, as a yoga teacher, you know, you always look back at yourself. I don't know if you do this. Like, you look back at your early teachings and stuff, and you're just like, sometimes you're mortified by, like, like how is I even teaching? How, mm. you know, it's like your, your ideas, like my ideas on life, on everything, on what I valued and what was important have completely changed. Not completely. Like I still value uh, a lot of things, but I think as I started, I put so much focus on what the container was, mm. you know, being the container, being the body. And that's what I taught. You know, I wanted, I wanted to teach the contents. I wanted to teach like what really mattered. Um, but I knew the container a lot better. Mm -hmm. And so 
I'd go out and I'd you know, teach people how to do handstands, how to do chaturanga, get strong, and my background was in anatomy, that's what people came to me for. I figured if people want to come here and this is what they want to learn, this is what I'm going to teach them. And then I really started to understand the opportunity that I'd been given, and it was, you know, people come, the same way I came to, to yoga, is like, I saw people doing handstands and, and that kind of thing, and I was like, this is awesome, I want to do this. And then somewhere through that, I actually figured out what yoga was, which wasn't a handstand, but it was why you did a handstand. Mm. Because yoga is a handstand, but it's everything that goes into that from the inside. And it manifests itself on the way out and on the way in. So uh, I was given this opportunity to, to talk to people like I actually had a soapbox to stand on and I could be and I could tell people about my journey in life because I've had you know you don't really think like your journey was all that crazy until you talk to other people yeah. and then they're like oh my god you've had a crazy life and I'm like well I guess in comparison to like normal people which <laughs> I, I don't even know what normal is you know I think we're all everybody is uh, shies away from what normal is but um, yeah because you know I was born kind of not really the best childhood and stuff. Broken up like most people. Came through that and uh, then it got better as I got a little bit older and circumstances changed. Then I joined the military and I was, you know, I was a Marine for four years. I wrestled for the all Marine team. Got sent to Iraq, got out, did a bunch of stuff. The youth pastor for a small period of time, which is kind of like a weird turn in my life. And then, um, which actually really helped me become a yoga teacher, I think. How so? Connecting with people, because my whole job is there, and I wrote a post about this the other day, and it was actually, it was my, my pastor, like, I was working at a coffee shop, I just got back from Iraq and discharged from the military, and I was working at a coffee shop, and, and the church was across the street, and he was like, hey, do you want to be a youth pastor, and I'd grown up in the church kind of like that, mm -hmm. even though now my, my ideas on God and what I think about spirituality and religion, all that, has completely changed, you know, at that time, that was what was serving me. Mm -hmm. You know, so it was, it was good. But he told me, he's like, people don't care about what you know, because I didn't feel qualified to be, to do this job. I'm like, I had no training in this, whatever, like I was a Marine. He's like, people don't care about what you know. They just want to know that you care. Mm -hmm. And as a yoga teacher, that has such an impact on how I teach, because I, I mean, I, people don't realize how much that yoga teachers go into continuing their own education. And I mean, this week I read three books. So you got a lot of yeah, knowledge. Yeah, and and I just do that just so that I I'm continuously inspired, you know. But they, you know, it's like it's not about knowing, you know. Knowledge uh, doesn't get you anywhere. Being clever doesn't get you anywhere. Listening, you know, like understanding like the wisdom that's out there and applying that, and then connecting. Loving and so it's it's more about the compassion and caring that has been the biggest thing for me being a teacher. You know, it's great I could tell you all the muscles in your shoulders and how they work and like everything you know in your glenohumeral rhythm and what you should be doing in a handstand. But that doesn't mean anything unless I can connect with you as a person. Unless I could tell you why is that important in life? Because you do a handstand, great, big deal. Now, now you can do a handstand. Now I can do a handstand for a minute. Now I can do it five minutes. It doesn't change you as a person. But you learning how to face your fear wall, how to become, you know, um, 
more in touch with yourself, how to deepen this connection, how to build trust in yourself. And this is, this is what handstand as a tool or an arm balance or warrior too. These are, you know, tools that we have in our practice. And it was traveling around and teaching and going, I have this opportunity to speak to people, mm-hmm. you know, who cares about teaching them a handstand? I want to teach them why they do a handstand. I'm going to teach them why they do a warrior too. I'm going to teach them what it means to be here. You know, and how, how do you, like, because we're all here, we, we live in suffering. Uh, I actually, the post I wrote this morning, I've been talking about this a lot lately, like, we're pain bodies. We're, like, everything that you and I experience at some point will come into pain. Like, you think, how many different ways that you, do you feel pleasure in your body? I mean, through taste buds, I would say. Yeah, enjoyment through food. Mm-hmm. Right. Good music, a beautiful sunset. Yeah. Like, that sunset, like, if you go out and you, and you go bask in the sun, and like, oh, you're soaking up those beautiful rays, eventually that turns into pain. Yeah. Because you get out there too long and it burns by come over and I touch your arm like that, that feeling connection feels really good. But if I squeeze a little too hard, it feels pain. Yeah. And the body is, it does that to keep us safe. I mean, it's important how we our, our feedback with it is, is pain, but everything in our universe is changing. Everything, everything in our life is continuously changing and, and change only works in two directions. You know, it's either going towards death, atrophy, decay, or towards life, growth, birth. You know, it's it's one of those two ways. But if you went on vacation, you laid by a pool, and you're just out there basking all all day. Afterwards, you'd be like, "Oh, that's nice." But you wouldn't have grown any as a person. Or if you go and you just lay in bed and you do nothing, your body's going to deteriorate. Your muscles are going to get smaller. Your bones are going to you know, the osteoclasts are going to go in and they're going to eat away at the calcium and then your bones are going to get smaller. You're going to get shorter, like, through your ligaments and tendons and everything. Mm-hmm. And so your body is just going to go into, like, this nothing from you doing nothing. Mm-hmm. But there's not going to be any pain there, but eventually there will be pain there. Because even through doing nothing, there becomes pain. If you go out there and you just sit by the pool all day where it comes out as, as, as beauty and awesome, and you're like, oh, this is so relaxing, you continue to do that, now boredom comes in. And then you're like... I need to be doing something different because there has been no, no change. And then now there's another sort of pain there. So the body's always like telling you something through pain. Mm-hmm. But if you go out and you work out, you stress your body, you build your muscles, the muscles get bigger. You know you did a good job because you're sore, because it hurts. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, okay. Same thing with the mind. If you go out there and you have a hard time, you go through a bad relationship, you... Um, loss of a family member, whatever. Like if you're going through school and you're working, you're spending all this, this time and this effort to like get into something, it, that's hard. You know, that, that, that's hard on the soul. And then through that process, you grow. I remember when I did, you know, I was, I was in Sweden. I was just out there meditating, naked on a rock. And uh, <laughs> So was that like a, a journey? Was that a yeah, it quest was, in a sense? Yeah, it was just me learning how to connect, really. But I was out there, and there was nothing going on. You know, there was no reason for anything. You know, the weather, it was a little chilly and stuff, but it was beautiful, and I was just by myself, and I had been by myself for a little while. And I remember experiencing so much pain 
and suffering. And there was nothing going on. It was just everything that I was putting on myself because I thought I was bored. I was beyond bored, you know, because... What are you going to do out yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. butt naked by yourself. Yeah, and so <laughs> I thought it should be something different. I thought it should be something different than what it is now. Why am I here? Why? You know, I am, you know, this, this yoga teacher with all these amazing opportunities to travel around and teach, and I chose to go sit on a rock in the middle of the forest when it's raining half the time and cold to, by myself. Like, I put myself through suffering. Like, why did I do this? Uh, but I grew so much from that. Eventually, I realized I'm creating all this suffering. I'm creating this pain. I'm creating the struggle. And but it was through the struggle that I realized that. Without that, I would have never got to where, you know, I, I went to afterwards. Uh, I just yesterday in the airport, I read uh, for like I think it was like the second time I read. I read a long time ago, but Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. You know, and this guy went through the Holocaust, and he said, he says like. Life is suffering. Survival is making meaning out of that suffering. Mm. You know, it's like there, there, we, we are going to suffer in this life. It's, it's challenging, but that's how we grow. And how we become a better person is we find meaning in that. Definitely. So, uh, and that totally didn't answer your question, but I think this is how our interviews go, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and I, I feel that that's, that's the beauty of the nature of what you're going through. Your current experience is, I would say, built on the situations that you've been through that have brought you that suffering that have now allowed you to come to a place where you understand this is the reason why I'm suffering so that I can actually help people get through their suffering. Yeah. Seriously. And, and you know, like, I, you're... You're a yoga teacher, you know, the only thing that you could share is your practice. Exactly. You're just helping people with all the situations that they're going through and helping relate, you know, giving them tools to be able to say, okay, I've been through a similar situation. Maybe this tool will help you. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so in, in what you're teaching now, how would you say that your teaching has changed? Because... You, you did say that, you know, you were really into the handstands and, you know, teaching people more about, like, the anatomical alignment. How has that now changed into what you teach today? Don't get me wrong. I still am into the handstands. <laughs> <laughs> it's back to the container. The container is important. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have a cup of coffee, coffee's hot. You want a container that's going to hold that hot coffee. It's got to be hot. And if it's got holes in it, it's just going to pour out. If it's you know cheap cardboard, or whatever, it just soaks through and then and then it deteriorates. Mm -hmm. It distracts you from what's important, which is what's inside. So the container is important. Like we can't ever get away from the container not being important. Because if your body doesn't feel good, if this is a journey towards peace and meditation, and your body doesn't feel good, how easy is that for you to meditate? How easy is it for you to come to a place of peace when the outside's not working? You know, it's connected, but if we only focus on the container, then we lose sight of what's important, which is the contents. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where my practice is, or my teaching has changed the most. I still teach the container. Mm 
I still teach that it's, that's important. You know, we got to build this right. And I, I, you know, I do a lot of, I take a lot of time to study the body. You know, I, I just read cover to cover anatomy trains, hmm. you know, and that's, that's a pretty heavy book to get through. And so I'm, I'm always working towards understanding the container more without ever losing the focus of the contents. Uh, and I, you know, my, my goal as a teacher is to better be able to teach those two as one instead of teaching here's the contents and the container and the contents. But yeah, the separation. Yeah. You want to do the yoga of yoking those two items together so that people can understand that the container is just as important as yeah. Or that's it. Or, you know, if you're, if you're talking about like Zen, there is no container and there is no contents. Mm. <laughs> there's no separation there is no separation um, yeah so I mean that's really like where I'm that comes through practice as, as a teacher and I don't know how close or how far I am away from it but it doesn't really matter because if I really ever get there I'll never know mm-hmm. <laughs> that's like that's enlightenment like the, you know as we move away from like the ego and stuff if we ever do you don't know because only the ego would recognize that you did <laughs> that's totally true so yeah you know the enlightened one doesn't see that they're enlightened only those outside right see that enlightenment so hopefully one day I you know I get there but <laughs> if not you know you can only you can only put your goals in the, in the present Futuristic goals are, it's just like looking at the future and imagining where you're going to be in a year from now or two years from now. You might have one idea, and if that's your goal and you put attachment to that idea, there's a good chance that you're going to be left disappointed or hurting or suffering or, or just completely off base. Because mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it's like, oh, I, I, I wanted this and it came out way better. And in my life, that's what it's been. I, like, I thought, you know, I moved to LA. Um, about three years ago and I was like I'm going to teach yoga I lost my job and I'm going to struggle like that was that was what I thought is I was like I'm going to come to yoga t- I'm going to come to LA I'm going to be a yoga teacher there's a million yoga teachers here and um, I know what I got to do I got to hustle I got to teach you know 18-20 classes a week and get privates and, and that's what it's going to be and that's what I expected um, I think Tony Robbins he's the one that says you know Trade all your expectations for gratitude. Mm, that's and such it, a good one. It, it's so good. And when you really start to live your life that way, instead of having expectations for something that it should happen in the future, because that once you start putting that that word should into anything, then it shouldn't it should see that <laughs> become a red flag that tells you, okay, why should it be like this? Why should it be anything other than what it is? right now and that's what expectations are it should be something different than what it is but if you just approach that with gratitude I'm thankful for exactly what it is then you know then now you're you're learning how to be present now you're learning how to practice yoga so you feel that presence is intrinsically related to the practice of yoga I mean you can't separate that from the practice of yoga because the idea Yoga is a journey to truth, essentially. That's the, we're all looking for the truth. 
you know, in the clashes it, it, it lays it out. And uh, Avidya being, being the first one, which is, you know, um, this false perception of reality or ignorance is, a, is one way that they do it. And that's saying that living in the future, and so we all live with ideas of the future, and we get attached to that, so there's separation, there's suffering, and that's because we're not in the truth, or we live in the past. And the past, like, we all want to think that the, you know, I was there, of course the past is true. But if you and I go and see a movie, we go see X-Men or something, I love Marvel and you hate Marvel. <laughs> and afterwards we go out of it and I go, oh, that was such a great movie. And you go, oh, that movie totally sucked. We were both there. Witnessing the same witnessing thing. Witnessing the same thing. And we recorded it completely different because anything that happens in the past when you're not, so we'll, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more with recording stuff in the past as a yogi, but anything that happens in the past, we imprint our emotions upon Mm-hmm. And so those emotions imprinted, imprinted on the past, it's not the past, these are the vrittis, you know, the uh, uh, yogas chitta vritta narodha, mm-hmm. you know, so these are the vrittis, these are the modifications, so we modify the past to fit us, it's not true, it's actually a lie. Like I think back to my childhood and I think back to all like the horrific experiences that I had, but I go, well how much is that true and how much is that of a five-year-old recording that as truth? Mm. or a six-year-old recording that is true. And even if they happened or whatever, they didn't actually happen the way that I thought they did. And so now I could look back on that and be like, okay, so this suffering that I have, that I've you know, had to go through and all this stuff, it was actually not true. It was my emotions to response to that. Because if I just come and I hit you, you know, your arm might be sore a little bit. You go on living your life, you're normal right? Mm-hmm. You, you take nothing from it. But if I hit you and you have an emotional response like, oh, that was really messed up. I thought Dylan was my friend and now he now he's hitting me. Like, it the physical damage goes away in an emotional damage. Yeah. That stays. And then that's what you record and that's what you remember. It's not the actual act. And so, we grew, we've grown up suffering on what we thought, what we recorded is, oh, this is suffering, this is whatever. But we're basing our experience on lies, essentially. Essentially, it's, it's a lie. The practice of yoga is, is, you know, I mean, even in the sutras, it talks about the vrittis, how, what the vrittis are, the painful, the painless. Mm-hmm. You know, and when we remove these modifications, um, Joseph Campbell, he talks about it like, you know, I love this because I, I think it's, uh, it's always been on mind. You know, the mind is, is like a lake. Even the Bhagavad Gita says that, that, um, that reality is an upside-down tree. <laughs> right and and what it talks about that upside down tree is actually like if you had a tree up against the lake the reflection of the tree is not the tree it's only a reflection of it and that's that's the world that we live in you know and we're we're trying to get out of the reflection and get into the reality and the practice of yoga is being present and then in the present removing all those modifications so that we can see the reality clearly. Yeah, because a lot of your emotions, your anger, your frustration, your joy, your happiness, your sleepiness, your pain, all these things put ripples on your mind. The vrittis, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's about coming to the truth, which is seeing things for exactly how they are without the modifications. And, and that only happens in the present. 
And so, that, I mean, yeah, so if, you, if your question is yoga is about being present, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> a lot of it. A lot of the only thing. <laughs> if, if you could just work on being here and then understanding, like, you know, if I have a conversation with somebody and they say something or it brings up something like, oh, I don't really like that, my first response isn't anything towards them. I, my first response now, and this only has happened through a lot of practice over the past six years, you know, since my, when my teachers really started um, maybe seven years ago, six or seven years ago, when he started really working with me, that I, I feel this, I'm like, oh, I don't really like that. And so I think, well, why don't I like that? Where does that come from in my past? Where was that vritti? Mm-hmm. Where was that thing? Where did I store that emotion? Where did, and then I could go back to it, and I could pinpoint it and go, well, that's a lie. I, you know, there's no, there's no need for that to affect me. And then if I could go back to the past and, and real and undo that knot, pull, pull that out, you know, that, you know, essentially that samskara, you know, because we have samskaras from, like, if you believe in reincarnation from past lives, and you have samskaras from this life, you know, you can think of a samskara as like, if you have a rock and you just pour water over it, eventually it's going to form a groove. Mm-hmm. And so if that groove is there, next time someone pours water over it, it goes right into that groove, you go, okay, well, it's not so much about the pouring the water, but it's the groove that was created. And so you go back, where, where was that groove created? Because it should just flow off of me like water. So I want to hear more about your teachers. Who do you find as like the inspiration for your practice and how have they helped you in your practice today? Uh, I, I think like any teacher now, like uh, definitely my biggest teachers have been my students, mm-hmm. you know, and that's because they kind of, they, your students will find your, the chinks in your armor. You know, they'll find their weak links and, you know, I, if they ask me something I don't know, that's a sign for me to learn something. Or if they don't like, you know, something that's, that's for me to improve. Um, and so I'm constantly using every class that I teach as, you know, I mean, they're obviously like my first and greatest teacher. They're the mirror that reflects what I'm teaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then because of where, you know, how my life has gone over the, like, especially this past year and a half or two years of traveling, I take every teacher that I can. Like, you don't have to be, like, a world-famous teacher or anything, you know. Like, people that have a lot of followers on Instagram or about it, a lot of them, you know, we're just, we got lucky. Somehow the universe shined on us and we, you know, we got we got lucky, but there are so many amazing, great teachers. You know, I just, I took, uh, you know, when I was just like, just in New York, I took Dharma Mitra, of course, you know, everyone knows about Dharma Mitra. And I took this other guy, Isaac Pina. So in New York, people know who he is, and he's this amazing teacher and contortionist and everything. And then I took privates with this other guy, Virgil, who's this French dude that's just amazing, handsome. No one knows who he is. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, 30 years circus arm balancer guy. And then you'll just like go to a coffee shop with a student 
and they'll sit down and they'll just like drop the 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 craziest dharma like right on your life and you're just like oh wow <laughs> you know and and so having a daily experience of that has really grown me it hasn't been just one person but it's been collective a collective you know i still value like my you know my first teachers and stuff and i think anybody that starts off they're always going to have the most value for some of their first teachers because they're the ones that show you the door you know, even if they just showed you the door, they're just like, walk through that one. There's a thousand doors here, but they told you the right one to walk through. They don't even have to tell you how to walk through it. They just pointed to you. And, and you're always going to have such a love for them because of that. And so, you know, I have great respect for, for some of my, my first teachers that just showed me what door to walk through. Um, you know, and then like you that is you're going out there and changing the world you know I see what you do and like I, I adopted for you you say blessings to everybody and I love that because I, I used to like how do I sign my emails much love or whatever sincerely or kind regards whatever you know everyone and then like after, now I sign blessings because <laughs> because happy I can do that Seriously. yeah because it's just like you to be a good teacher, you have to be a good student. And to be a good student, you have to see the good in your teachers. Mm. And then take that on in your life. So I see something in my friends. Uh, I see a quality that I enjoy about them. And I go, I really love that. And I think if we're all like this, I think on, outside of the yoga world, or even unfortunately sometimes in the yoga world, we see people that have something that's good that we like about them, and we hate them for it. Mm. Because instead of saying this is something I could bring to my life. We see it as, this is what's missing from my life. And you just pointed that out to me. Mm. And so, you know, and we could look at everybody like this. Like, uh, I don't like how that makes me feel because you are such a wonderful and kind person and I see that I'm not. And so, you just pointed the ugly out in me by you being so great. So now I can hate you. Or I can say, your light just illuminated my darkness. And now instead of trying to smudge out your light, I'm going to use it to light my candle. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's like really, when you recognize that as a teacher, and you just look at everybody for what's great and beautiful in them, and you see that, and you, instead of seeing it as something to be jealous of or envious or as a darkness in your, your life, you could be like, why not just take that? You're giving it. Mm -hmm. You know, we're all, we all... You know, if we're teachers, we're giving it. We're giving our lessons. We're giving. We're sharing our practice, and so we share our practice for people to take our practice. Yeah. You know, I tell my students they come into class and they're like, "Can I record this? Can I write?" Yeah, of course, record it. Tell all your friends. Post it on YouTube. I don't care. I this is. I don't own anything. You know, like none none of this is mine. It's not. I didn't make this up. You know, it might be. It's just from my perspective. All the, all the knowledge that I talk about, anything on life, that comes from the knowledge in the universe. Like, it's always been here. If it has to do with movement or the body, the good chance I can make that up. <laughs> you know, even if, even if I think I'm so innovative in something I do, I don't own it. You know, so we, yeah, a good teacher shares, and you share so that others take it. 
With that being said, how do you feel that the sharing world of social media has helped or hindered yoga today? So I get, you know, I get it in, in my, I've been really fortunate lately. I've had a couple like Facebook videos go viral with like a couple million views. You know, I saw you did too also. Yeah, which is, I was, yeah. When I saw it, I was so happy for you. Because uh, you, I mean, you totally deserve it. But I saw I saw uh, one of my videos, and I'd like to look, go and look at the comments. Because on my page, people that follow me, hugest, biggest supporters. I write something, they're just, it's like so much love. I just read through. And if someone writes like one little thing that's negative, it's like an attack on me. Like, what are you? Are you Dylan supporters? Right, right. And I'm like, I feel like, like so blessed to have people that are like that kind for me. But when it's out and something goes viral, everyone sees it, you know, I just it'll be one little piece of negativity, like, that's not yoga, that's circus. Well, obviously, anything anything that you see from the outside is circus. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if it's a warrior to a one-arm handstand or shavasana. If I look at you laying on the ground, I'm like, oh, he's doing shavasana. Or he's sleeping. <laughs> I don't know, you know? Like, I can't see your practice. So I recognize that now. You know, no one could look at my practice and see my practice. So anybody that's judging my practice and saying that that's not yoga or whatever, I mean, it's obviously they're seeing, instead of seeing the good, like we just talked about, seeing yeah. the good in me, they see it as like, I'll never do that or whatever, this is pointless. Like, why? Yeah. It, it may not serve them at that time. Right. And they might not be able to actually understand the, the complexity of what you're doing and how you're able to incorporate your breath and that union and that sensation of pure awareness. Yeah, exactly. Every pose is a tool. If I start out, I start out learning how to do crow pose. I'm doing it so that I could be more present. That's just my my own thing. I'm doing crow pose. It's challenging me. It makes me be here, so I'm going to do that. Well, now crow pose got easier. Mm-hmm. So I, maybe I straighten my arms, do crane. And I do that. I'm like, okay, now... And they're like, okay, well, maybe I'll do single leg crow. Pick one leg up. And every time I do that, I'm sharpening my tool, but for the same same purpose, the same goal. The goal hasn't changed. Be more present, you know, be more mindful, more balanced, more aware. Same goal. But because I've, I've been practicing it, my tool keeps changing. My tool keeps getting sharper. Started out as a hatchet. Then it's a machete, then it's a knife. Now, you know, we're getting to a scalpel because like now it's like now I can really use this. And so, okay, now one leg one legged crow's too easy. Let's take the other arm off the ground. Now I'm just on one arm. And now I'm really focused. And then it's like, okay, well, maybe the next step is just doing it on five fingers. <laughs> you know, it's like there's always a way that's taking you to the exact same goal that you're going to when when you're just trying to get your feet up off the ground. It just looks different from the outside. And so if you only look at it from the outside, you only think that, then you lose the contents and you're only looking at the container. Mm-hmm. And people see that and they go, well, you're just going to scare people away from yoga. Well, okay, well, let's take it back, you know, 70 years, 80 years, when when Krishnamacharya was taking Patapi Joy Sayangar and, um, you know, the other... His, his other students around. And they're going around from village... Well, were they going out and going like... This is how you do Sukhasana, and this is Shavasana, and this is, you know, half moon pose. Like, they weren't showing that. They were showing headstands, handstands, contortion, leg behind the head. You know, all the crazy hard stuff, the, the jump backs and everything. 
The only difference is they didn't. I mean, if they had Instagram back then, they'd be like all of them on posting up on their Instagram, like, here's me with both my legs behind my head. Yeah, but instead and, they had some of the first photographs and yeah. like, literally were making books. Yeah, and know? so, and this is what, they weren't going like, oh, we shouldn't do leg behind the head because that's going to scare away people from doing yoga. It's like, no, like, we want to show what Hatha Yoga is. And so this is, you don't look at a painter and look at his painting when he just, you know, threw up like the first couple of layers and go, okay, I can do that. This is, and then I'm, that's what all you want from people. You look for the painter and you go, I want to see how far, he, you want to see the finished product, how beautiful it is, the masterpiece and the, that they create. And you go, I'm really inspired by that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like the social media thing, it's just, it's just inspiration. It's just something to look to a bunch of different painters because you obviously you can't see someone's practice. You can't look at any, I mean, all the 600 poses, whatever Dharma Mitra did. You can't look up at that poster and go, that's Dharma's practice, because it's not. That's the result of, that's the physical manifestation of his practice. That's not his practice. No one could ever see anyone else's practice. You can feel someone's practice. You can talk to somebody. You can know their practice that way, because it comes out with, with who they are. But if they just go and they do shavasana, are they laying there or are they sleeping, you know? Or are they dead? Or are they dead? <laughs> do warrior two, if they just like lunges? You don't know what's going on. You don't know if the practice is actually happening. So there is that fault in in social media, but I think if people took the time to actually like look and read, that's why I, I spend so much time like with my narrative now actually writing something like I have a thought I want to share it so I write it because that's how I can share my practice better the picture that's you know that's basically like saying hey look at me <laughs> look at here like arrows now take the time to read and then comment and let's create a conversation mm-hmm. so with the conversation of yoga in today's society do you feel that yoga as a exercise or as a means to gaining greater truth is actually affecting the globe and from someone like yourself who's traveling all over the place like do you actually see yoga helping people on a larger scale of course i wouldn't yoga is a community and it's a group and we all want to fit in that's that's one of the the, the we are social creatures we want to belong. A lot of problems come from not feeling like we belong. And if you're around a bunch of people and you don't feel like you belong being who you are, you're going to change who you are to fit in, even if it goes against your values, your morals, your ethics, whatever. Like, you'll change. And you see this good good people hanging out with people that are like, oh, no, I'm just going to drink and whatever. Like, oh, drinking's bad, but... Um, you're just going to do bad stuff because other people are doing bad stuff and you want to fit in. So they're being mean to somebody and picking on somebody that everyone gets in and, and it's contagious like that. Or you can pick the group that, that resonates with you. And we have leaders and followers, of course, like in, in our society. But it's really hard for a leader to get a whole group of people to follow. It's much easier to fit into a group that's already established. 
we already have that group, you know, and it's this yoga group. And as as the group gets bigger, it gains more power. And I think globally, this this you, know, you see it like consciously. There's more um, healthy, all you know, alternatives, vegan places. More people are becoming vegetarian or are moving into that area. There's more yoga studios popping up. More meditation bhakti centers. All these things are are happening because there's a demand for it. There was there wasn't as big of a demand before, and so I go to Asia and it's huge over there, and it starts it starts with the physical stuff. They see that they're like, oh, we want to do it in the West because that's all they see. Yeah, right? they see that first, so they start to mimic what they see, and then what they see, you know, eventually it Inspires evolves. Yeah. yeah, then it goes. Okay, now I'm learning how to be more in touch because when you start, I, I don't know. Some people start yoga through the meditation side and then they move to the physical side. That's, I know a lot of people like that. They're like, oh, I wanted to do yoga, so I started doing meditation. Other people start physical side. They're like, I don't want, I remember my teacher would say, like, shine your heart forward. And I'd be like, dude, that's a little, that's a little <laughs> fluffy with your words. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I was like so against that. But eventually, you want to belong too. And so what you're belonging to is 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 amazing, it's great, then, then it grows power. And if it's light, the light will always shine out the darkness. Mm-hmm. You know, a single candle could illuminate the darkest cave. Well, now you have a hundred candles or a thousand candles or a million candles. You know, it really starts to, starts to remove the darkness of the world. And so yoga, as much as it's a personal journey, a personal practice, it's a spiritual collective, it's a conscious movement, a conscious effort towards towards making the world a better place. And if you get one asshole and a bunch of people showing him love, it shows him that he's the asshole. And then he and then it just it shows that and then it's like, well wait a second. I don't want to be the asshole. I want, you know, and then and that's how you see it all the time, people that like I know I was an asshole. Of course, you know, that's who I was raised by. My friends were, friends the military, they all were. You know, actually I have good friends, I shouldn't say that so much. <laughs> but I definitely had friends that, that weren't, you know, and it's like easy, like you'd be around the friends that are that are great people, and you're like, Oh, I'm gonna be a good person. You go around the friends that are that are dicks and you're like, Oh, I'm gonna be a dick. You know, and then I was in the military and you know, there's some good people in there, but there's a lot of people that and so then you just start when you become a yogi you're always working to be aware everything all the whole process is about awareness and when you have an intention behind that you know the only intention that there is comes from love it doesn't matter what that intention is if it's an intention that comes from love and you're aware of what it is your actions are going to reflect that mm-hmm. and so then it doesn't matter what the group is now it doesn't matter you're never going to try to fit in because fitting in means that you're not going to be yourself. And we do that when we lose awareness, we lose consciousness, we lose who we are. And when you lose who you are, you lose your identity and you look for someone else's. And so, you know, you might start out in yoga fitting into a group, but eventually you'll be like, this is truth because love is truth. You know, and once you, once you find that love is, as being the truth, then you find your identity. And then it doesn't matter 
you'll always be the light in any cave. Hmm. That's that was bam. <laughs> and Olagasi right there. <laughs> yeah. Well, now I was gonna say like you dropped the truth in life, you know. <laughs> uh, that was absolutely awesome. Um, I wanted to ask you, how has um, not drinking and maybe even like your diet help your evolution of seeing greater truths? So last year, last year I drank a lot. Not like in a, in a bad way, but because I was going out and you know, always meeting people and going out to dinner, you go out to dinner, like whiskey was my drink, I'd have a whiskey, you know? And so, and it just became something that I did, like never to excess. Like I wouldn't go out like get sloppy, but it was, it was like something that I did to have fun. Mm-hmm. And this year, starting starting on the first of January, because that's like I went to India to do a bhakti training. I was like, I'm not going to drink anymore, and just to see, not not because, like I said, I don't think drinking's bad or anything like that. But do I need this to have fun? And I've had, a, I think, a better time this year than I did when I was drinking. And it's just because I can be more aware and more conscious and more myself, and I don't need have because we drank so we could lose our inhibitions so that we could be ourselves mm-hmm. like a lot I mean that's I know for me and I know for a lot of people that's why we do it so we could be so we could get past these layers but I've been practicing yoga and yoga has helped me get past these layers I don't need I don't need alcohol to, to peel those away like I know who I am like I like to have fun and joke and be crazy and you know mm-hmm. I don't need alcohol to do that so but now when I do it I know I don't do it out of from a, a, a non-aware place. And alcohol does kind of numb the senses on, you know, you're not aware. And then you say stuff that they're like, oh, I really wish I didn't say that. That was a hurtful thing. Or, you know. And so it's, uh, I think, I really enjoy, you know, it's only been five months now or so since I, I haven't had anything to drink. Not a single drop the whole time. And I feel great. I feel sharper too. Clearer. And I like that. It feels good not to have any cloudiness and there's no need for it. Yeah. My diet's okay. I'm a vegetarian, that's that's it. <laughs> I, I still eat. But that's different too. Yeah. Uh, that's only been about a year now. And how does your body feel? My body it's unfair to ask me that question because I have a different constitution than most people. Like, my body does, I can eat garbage, I can eat really good food, I can whatever, I digest it well, I don't get sick, mm-hmm. you know, so I just, my body does really well off of Then why do you choose to eat healthier? Uh, first, first actually it wasn't even so much like the ahimsa or anything like that, it was just like my dad got diagnosed with cancer and eating meat, it's like, it's, it's not good for you, and cancer runs in my family so I'm like I really shouldn't be eating meat and it goes in line with being a yoga teacher anyway so just might as well do it and then I was in I was in India and uh, I was at the Govardhan eco village and they have like all the ahimsa cows and stuff and get up in the morning and milk them at 5.30 and there's a relationship between you know the, the gopas and the gopis and the cows and this is like this so beautiful and they're such a beautiful animal I'm like 
what's the point? What's the, and then if you really like look at what it does to the world and like as far as you know, so it's more from like yeah, it's more for like a conscious thing than for a health thing because I could eat anything and feel fine. Um, the real question is now that they're making they're biogenetically engineering meat. Have you heard that? Yes. So in New York, there's a there's a place that has two burgers that sells hamburgers. It doesn't didn't it come from an animal, but it's actual meat that they grew on a petri dish. And you could get this this. <sighs> so now it's like, well, it's actually is that vegan? Is that vegan? <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, I don't want to eat it because I mean, we we don't even want to eat GMO vegetables. So so <laughs> GMO meat, GMO meat that came from. But that's going to be a whole nother, I think, thing coming up. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe in a positive way. I don't know. Who knows? Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if they could have meat without having to kill something, kill and, something, and yeah, I mean, each to his own. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> uh, I'm just hoping that they plant more trees with every single burger that they sell. <laughs> yeah. Ah. Uh, so I want to go ahead and touch on three of the most profound lessons that you've learned this year. Okay. First lesson is um, everything is continuously changing. I think once you realize that, then you can understand the difference between connection and attachment. So we're, we're always looking to be connected as yogis, right? And then the parigraha, the non-grasping, is not attached. Find the separation between those two. Like, a lot of people don't understand what that line is. Attachment will always create suffering. Always. Whether you're attached, and, and it's a hard one because people are like, well, I want to be attached to my kids or my parents or my spouse or whatever. It will create suffering because if everything is continuously changing, there's going to be a separation. Because attachment is saying, I want something to stay exactly how it is forever, and we all know that's not true. This change is constant. This change is constant. So the second that that changes now, it's like, well, I want my wife to be this way, or my husband to be this way, my girlfriend to be this way. And now they're being something different. Well, I'm attached to them making me happy. Now they're no longer making me happy. Now I'm unhappy. But that unhappiness, I think, stems from, you know, that ego of wanting something to well, be another way. Yeah, well, it's just the attachment. The attachment, attachment is saying, I want something to make me happy. Where love is saying, I want to make you happy. Mm. And that's the difference. It's the direction of the flow. The connection is, is along that lines of love. Connection is saying that it doesn't matter where in time, space, life, death, I always have a connection to you. If you take like a death of a, of a loved one, immediately you feel sorrow and suffering because of the separation, the attachment. It's after that, when that wears off and that goes away, that you realize the connection. You know, so if you've ever lost somebody really close to you, once the suffering goes away, once 
once that goes away, then you feel like, well, I'm connected. Like my dad, you know, he always talks about like whenever we're driving around and he gets a good parking spot, he goes, oh, grandma, grandma's looking out for us because uh-huh. she's always good at getting a good parking spots. So it's like, you know, once, once that goes away, then he's like, he feels the connection there to his mom through little things like that. And so in that, it, he finds that connection of love that is the unbreakable bond. So that's the first one. Everything is always changing. That moving through growth or death, we get to choose. When we choose connection and not attachment, you know, we're able to move without finding that suffering. The second one is commit to that truth, and it'll set you free. So there's always, there's always two parts to any lesson. The first part is the lesson. So this would be like, in yoga, this would be like the man-mind kosha. Mm-hmm. You know, the intellect. And so we get that. It's, it's, I mean, it's only an illusion of that layer or whatever, so I know this. The vijnana-mind kosha. This mm-hmm. is the wisdom. And so when you actually start... When you hear it, you hear it, then you listen to it, then you feel it. Then it's beyond words. Now it's in you and a part of you. And so, you, I mean, I, I learned that lesson years and years ago. But it wasn't until this year that I understood it. You know? And I understood it beyond words because we, we like to think that our intellect comes from our words and our cognitive understanding of it, but that's not where it is. That's, you know, that's like, that's still outside of ourself. That's still, that, those are still the vrittis on the mind. And when you come to peace, the wisdom of, of seeing, you know, this is the tree, instead of looking at the, at the reflection of the tree and knowing that's the tree, you actually look up at the tree and go, okay, there's the tree. You could use the words all day to describe that, but then you opened your eyes and you actually experienced it. And, and I think... That really changed. So number two is commit to that truth as, as it's freedom. Number three, surrender. So there's three ways. I think, I mean, that you could argue any of this stuff. I'm not saying anything is absolute or truth or whatever. But there's three ways to acquire something. And actually, Dharma Mitra said, if you want to master anything, it can't be scared of effort. Mm-hmm. That's a really good one. I, I was like, yeah, that's a really that's and I and then I, that really got me thinking. There it is. There's a door. There's a door. If you want to master anything, you can't be scared of effort. I'm like, okay. So does it mean effort is the only way? First way you can get something is it's given to you. We're gifted. You know, why we're all gifted with this body. That was the, that was your that was the first thing that you got, and that was given. Mm-hmm. You didn't do anything to get it. Recognize that as a gift. Okay. Second way you get something is through effort. Your hard work, your pain, as we talked about, your struggle, you earned it. You can say those are the only two ways, but to really master, like, to go the farthest, and this is the Wu way, is through surrender the opposite of that effort. And in the, I mean, it's obvious in the, the Yoga Sutras, it says, uh, you know, Sthira Sukha. 
yoga has to have the ease and the effort for it to, to be that. And it's like, yeah, we get it through the effort, but the greatest lessons that I've learned, and even, you know, you could even argue that there's effort there, but the greatest lessons that I've learned have been through surrender. What happens when you actually let go? My teacher would say, relax deeply. I'd be like, ah. I'd be like, no, show me. Don't, don't just think about it. Feel it. What does it feel like to let go? And then I said, I remember, I, I, you know, when I was, when I was meditating on that rock. The only reason I want to meditate on the rock is because the forest was so thick I couldn't see the sky, and so when the sky was out, I had to wait through like a couple feet of water to this rock that was like actually out in the sky where I could get a little sun. But I would sit there on my little meditation pad for like eight hours, and I would just be like. What does it feel like to surrender? And I would let everything go, and I'd let my shoulder, and I'd just feel it. And I'd let go of all the word, words, and feel it. And what does it feel? And I'd be crying, and my nose would be running, be drooling, and everything. And I couldn't even hold myself up, and I'd just be sitting there, just to experience, without thinking about it, what it actually feels like to surrender. And I remember, one day, it's probably about four or five o'clock in the afternoon looking out over that lake and it was absolutely gorgeous I mean it's pristine there wasn't anybody around for you know closest person was like an hour walk away just this pristine lake and I was just sitting there and I looked out on it and it was one of those things you couldn't tell where the sky started the sky ended you know just went in sky trees mountains mountains trees sky it's just like there's no, there's no movement on that. And it was like, the only way to find truth is not through effort, but through surrender. And I think that was like one of my, my greatest lessons, I think, this year. Well, I really appreciate you sharing those with us. Um, just to tap on what we can look forward to in the future. <laughs> uh, What's coming up for Dylan Warner? Well, next next month I am doing a teacher training. This is the first one that I'm hosting. I've had the privilege of teaching alongside other great teachers, but this is the first one that's like um, I'm leading. So How's that feel? Good. Like I feel really, really good. At, and I brought two of my teachers along with me. Who are to, they? Uh, Mercy Nanda and Shiva Das. They're just amazing. I'm, I'm with it. As much as I love philosophy, I know they're, you know, I want to give my students the best of, of what they can get. So I'm really going to leave it to them to teach like a lot of the philosophy stuff. Uh, yeah, so that's coming up. And then I'm, you know, I'm in Europe for like four months teaching workshops all through there. Then a little bit in Asia, Australia. It's not up on my website yet, but I'm sure by the time this is out, I'll be up there. That's really the best way to find anything is uh, DylanWarnerYoga.com. And of course, on my Instagram, I try to post stuff. You know. <laughs> so. And if you can leave our listeners with one golden nugget of inspiration that they can take into their practice on a daily basis. The truth will set you free. Well, thank you so much for your time, for surrendering into my wishes of doing this interview uh, today. <laughs> Namaste, my brother. Namaste. Thank you, brother. Thanks.
Yoga Revealers, we truly appreciate each and every one of you. Your support is instrumental in building and sharing this community. Share this episode with a friend and feel free to leave us a five-star review if you truly appreciate the work that we do. Every five-star rating helps us bring the podcast to more yogis and continue to share the light. Until next time, yogis, live light, shine bright. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.